Hi team, I'm Fitz Kohler, your fitness expert and very noisy race announcer from fitness.com and welcome to the fitness show. I am really excited about today's conversation. I met my guest, I think two weeks ago today and uh, what a spitfire she is. She is brilliant and beautiful and delightful and athletic and Boy, has she overcome some real hardships, I believe, with a smile on her face probably the whole time. And uh, the things that she's accomplished this year alone are pretty extraordinary. So if you're if you're maybe one of those people who thinks I can't or I shouldn't or I won't and life is hard, this is a show you want to watch. And then if you're one of those people who really appreciates a celebration of life and an incredible story of triumph. Well, then this is a story you should watch. So before I go further, I met uh, my next guest at the Donna, the National Marathon to Finish Breast Cancer, as I was doing a book signing. And so many of the things that were going on that weekend and with that race inspired me. So if you do buy this book, My Noisy Cancer Comeback on fitness.com, not Amazon, if you buy it at fitness.com, if you use code Donna, D-O-N-N-A, I will donate 15% of the proceeds to uh, the Donna Foundation, which supports breast cancer research and supports people that are diagnosed with breast cancer. So I am going to stop talking and then continue talking as I <laughs> welcome my next guest. This is Dr. Dawn Masalem. Hi, Dawn. Good morning, Fitz. Please call me Dawn. It's Just Dawn. Don't. So I don't yeah. have to call you Dr. Masalem the whole no. time. I have all my patients call me Dawn. We're friends. My patients empower me. When I met you, I was so empowered and just thrilled. I loved your book. I do. Yes, I enjoyed it so much. And it's something that I really, even myself, know it's going to make me a better doctor. You know, I think oftentimes when I visit with my patients, they may minimize a little bit about what they're going through. So it really helps us maybe to probe a little bit more with some of the things you brought up in your book is fascinating. But there are certain parts that just tickled me in your book. And and maybe we'll talk about a little bit of those during our, our chat. I actually like the fact that you asked if, because uh, you also ordered the audio book and you asked if it were me. And I was like, yes, that's yeah. my voice. <laughs> I did. I'm a slow reader. And I was so excited to get through the book. And I like hearing the audio presentation. And your voice was just so so fluid the whole time. I almost didn't believe it was you that you could read for that long and have such a fluid voice. But then again, you're the perfect announcer. So I should have guessed this, right? Well, thank you. I'm nothing. There's nothing about me that's perfect. But I do oh. think it's funny that you could listen to 10 hours of me and then go, is that you? <laughs> oh, I, I, it was just terrific. It was terrific. But my favorite part was when you named your hair. I loved it. Alfalfa and Lolita. I won't say more because I don't want to ruin the book. But that part just tickled me to pieces and I could just get the visual and well, because of my background, I actually could relate to some of that. So it really was meaningful. So I really enjoyed it. Of course, of course. Okay. So your background. So for starters, the reason I was, you've been a part of the Donna for starters is because you are a breast cancer interventional oncologist, correct? So what I do at Mayo Clinic in Florida is I work with the breast cancer patients when they're newly diagnosed. I help them to uphold enhanced quality of life, help to reduce and mitigate the side effects of treatment, help to even improve, hopefully, treatment outcomes. 
So I really help patients during and after their cancer diagnosis. So I do what's called integrative oncology. So I uphold kind of the pillars of lifestyle medicine. I do a lot, almost exactly what you do with people, where I help them live a healthy life by eating a whole food plant forward or plant predominant diet, getting them to exercise. And, you know, it's so common when women are newly diagnosed with breast cancer that a lot of times family and friends will bring chocolates and unhealthy foods. And so I kind of help patients navigate through that. It, it, we really want you to try to eat healthy during treatment, help them exercise and stay active, you know, assess their sleep. If they're taking supplements, make sure they're safe because right. so often some of those supplements can cause some harm during treatment. And then really to dive in deep to the symptoms that they're experiencing because, you know, when they're meeting with the oncologist that's prescribing the chemotherapy, that visit is so focused, as you remember, on the chemotherapy. You really sometimes forget about your symptoms because you're so overwhelmed about what you're talking about, about the treatments that are being delivered. So when I have that opportunity to meet with my patients, Mayo Clinic is so gracious with my time. I have a, a lot of time allocated that we can just sit, we can visit, and we can just really see how the patient is feeling. And if there's certain symptoms or side effects, we can help to mitigate those side effects with maybe natural things or maybe lifestyle approaches to care, or maybe it needs to be a prescription. But it's really such a blessing what I do. And I'll tell you, going through what I've gone through in life with my own health adversities, my time with my patients is so energizing that at the end of my day, like this morning, it's funny, I woke up this morning, I was like, I felt a little bit, you know, tired. Sometimes we wake up, we're like, oh, <clears throat> at the end of my day, when I get to visit with people like this, or when I get to see my patients, at the end of my day, I'm like a live wire. I'm like, I'm sure people are, are like, oh my gosh, where did she have all this energy? But my patients just, gosh, they're so awesome. I just love every single one of them. And so, you know, I know we're going to talk about it, but when I run, I just, I pray for my patients. I think about my patients. And that's why I love running long distances because gosh, I'll tell you at any point in time that that run gets challenging, it's just a reminder of the human experience that we're fully alive. And I kind of reflect back to what my patients have been through. And it's just such a time to just really embrace life. It really is. Yes. Yes to all that. And, you know, it's so interesting to hear you talk. Is I, I do feel like we're maybe the same person in different towns. But <laughs> but I, I always say, like, I don't work for awards and plaques and trophies. And I've got a couple of those. But my greatest rewards or awards are happy people feeling good about themselves. You know, those are the things that just fill me up and you could give me a plaque and I'm put it somewhere, but I love it when someone comes and says, Fitz, I've, I've, I haven't been this weight since I was in high school or I've never done X, Y, Z. And now I can, I mean, I've, I feel like you're living that every day as well. Oh, it's so true. And I have the cutest example. I recently had a lady, she was 78 and going through very intense chemo. And you know what she said to me? She goes, Dawn, I am not sick. I am having a ball. And this woman had gone, she had very aggressive triple negative breast cancer. Wow. She got intensive chemotherapy, surgery. Then she was going through this study where she did chemotherapy. And at the same time as her chemotherapy, she was getting radiation therapy on the same days. I mean, it was the most intense regimen. 78, she would do Tai Chi every day. And she sent me that message. Dawn, I am not sick. I am having a ball. I mean, that message just is so deep within my soul every single day. I just love it. And these are the messages I hear from my patients. So, I mean, how blessed am I to have the job that I do? And I know you're the same way. And it's just so exciting to see people thrive and during some of these hardest moments of their life have vitality. And so I just am really, really fortunate to be in that position. Yeah, you are. That's, you know, that's really cool. I mean, it was interesting with, with my cancer nonsense. You just read it, but 
I just chose, I wasn't going to be cancer's victim come hell or high water. I wasn't going to do it. And so I was really being dragged behind a horse. I was so sick and I'd get on, I'd go fly somewhere and, you know, all of that stuff was really hard. And there was all this hard stuff going back behind the scenes. But if someone asked, how are you? I'd say, I'm just fine. And then people would come over and be like, oh, I lost a toenail. Can you believe I lost a toenail? And I was thinking, oh, well, how hard for you. (laughs) You know, but we choose, we choose our, how we live life, right? Either we're going to be the victor every single freaking day, no matter what, or we're going to be the victim every single day. And, and you have the luxury of witnessing real victors. Now we got a few victors. Um, joining us. So first of all, Andy Sharp, we love you, Andy. She's another survivor five years out of breast cancer. Hi, Andy. Oh, Andy was with me at the finish line. Because of Andy, I finished that race. I'm just going to tell you, without Andy and Beth Boyer, another one of my colleagues, without these two amazing, empowering women, I don't know. I think I would have had a really challenging time. Though I did run 25 miles three weeks before. So I think I physically could have could have finished it. There were a few challenges that I encountered during the Donna that really got in my head. And I was like, oh, I gotta finish. So with Andy by my side, I knew it could be possible. So to Andy. To Andy, to Andy. And then we have another one of my friends. She just finished all of her cancer treatment. Thank goodness. Vicky Miko and um her oncologist, also a runner, is running a marathon with her this year. I love that. She's going to spend more time talking about running than treatment. And she is so tough. Throughout her whole treatment, she was out there running five miles, 10 miles, out in the woods with her husband. It's just crazy. Um, she's been a real trooper. And uh, yeah, incredible. Incredible. And I, that's so cool that the oncologist is going to run with her. That was super exciting. One of my uh, patients, we ended up being right together at the same point around mile 10. And so we got a video and it was like, oh my gosh, we're getting a video. We're running together. It was super cool. So it is so meaningful for your doctor, Victoria, to be able to run that race with you. I love it. That sure is. I'm really hoping to get my oncologist to run one of the races I announced. I know. I want to get one of my doctors to run the race, but none of them have stepped up yet. So I just, although they're so busy saving lives, I'm like, no, you have a very important role. I, I understand, but they also have their own lives. Okay. So I'm going to backtrack. So, uh, so your breast cancer oncology, you're working to help people save lives all the time, but your story, very interesting. And I, and I left this carrot dangling at the intro, but um, you are a stage four cancer survivor and Last year, you had a heart transplant. And then exactly one year after the heart transplant, you ran your first marathon. So all hail Queen Dawn. That's insane. So so backtrack. Go all the way back to your cancer diagnosis. What are you dealing with? I, I really, truly don't even know. Oh, so it was so crazy. And I was like, you, Fitz. I, you know, when I was a kid, I tell everyone this crazy story. So when I was about five years old, people would say, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'd say, I want to be in a Smucker's jar. And they'd look at me and say, what? And so you you probably remember, you have to be born around 1970. And you and I were born right at the same time, close to it. So if you remember the Today Show with Willard Scott, the 100-year yeah. birthday celebration. Oh, yes. yes. 100-year-old people on the Smucker's jar. So at five years old, I, I wanted to live to be 100. So starting at that young age, my family was super duper healthy, but I wanted to be even more healthy. So I started reading all these, you know, healthy little magazines and books. I remember I'd read Life Extensions as like a young kid. And I take spirulina bars to 
lunch field trips when other kids would take Snickers bars. And so the story goes on. The point is, is in my younger years, I lived a very healthy lifestyle and I loved every minute of it. Went on to undergrad and I studied exercise physiology like you and nutrition, loved it. Went on to do research, uh, studying centenarians, people who were 100 and still running. Okay. And then eventually I jumped to medical school because I was like, you know, I just want to do a little bit more. So went on to medical school. In a few weeks into medical school, I wasn't feeling good. And here, I'm a girl that was running 10, 14 miles a day. I would climb mountains once or twice a day. I lived in Arizona, so I do camelback. I just loved everything fitness. I previously competed in fitness contests. And so it was just my passion and love. I loved everything healthy. Went to see a doctor and like, oh, it's in your head. You probably have asthma. I'm like, God, I feel miserable. Asthma is the worst. How am I going to ever do this? A few weeks go by, I'm getting sicker. Go to another doctor. And they say the same thing. Oh, it's in your head. You're probably studying this in medical school. So I go to a few more doctors. They keep on saying this. So three months into medical school, I'm going up the stairs to my apartment and I collapse. I get taken to the hospital. My entire left lung was collapsed. There was a 16 centimeter mass in my chest wrapped around my heart and my heart wasn't beating properly. So they took me to urgent surgery to kind of pull that tumor off my heart. They came into my room. I remember waking up and and seeing this young doctor who was crying, just thinking, oh my gosh, how are we going to tell this girl what's going on? And so I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And this, yeah, so it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay. It was B-cell lymphoma. So it was really rapidly growing. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this is not a good thing. And so this not very nice doctor here, I'm like this 26 year old girl, like really sweet, kind, innocent girl that just wants to live to be a hundred on a smuckers jar. And he comes in and he says, you know, you're going to need to quit medical school. And then my significant, my boyfriend at the time who turned out to be my husband years later, he goes, well, you know, how many years does she have? I'm like, why would you ask such a stupid question? Like you asked that dumb question, right? I'm like, don't, and before I can say don't answer, this doctor is like, well, you know, it could be three months. And I'm like, what? Like, like, how can you say this to me? This is ridiculous. But I think that was the fuel to the fire. I'm like, oh, no, I couldn't be on that smuckers jar. So thank goodness. The next day, my actual doctor came in and he's like, listen, I'm going to fight with you every single step of the way. This is going to be really tough treatment, but we're going to do it. And so that's what we did. So they started chemotherapy days later. It was really intensive chemo called CHOP. I mean, I, like you, I would say the hardest part for my chemotherapy was losing my hair. You know, I was 26, I was still dating and, you know, I loved my hair and here I was going to lose it. So it was tough. And, and there's, I, to this day with my patients, you know, I really talk to them about that, that that's probably the toughest part and you don't know what to do. Right. You're like, so I would wear it like in braids. So it wouldn't, so my hair wouldn't come out. Like I'd be so gentle. I wouldn't even want to wash it. It It, It'll stay if you just braid it. And then I remember one day I was in the anatomy lab with the cadaver and I noticed hair in the body of our cadaver. That we so I'm like, I don't think that's his hair. I think that's my blonde hair that's sitting. And Joe, that was our cadaver's name. Joe. And so that was the day that I cut my hair. I put it in a ponytail, cut it off. And then I eventually just shaved it. And, and did you do it yourself? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know why I didn't shave my head myself. Why would I bring a hairdresser over to just take a number two on my head? That makes no sense. But my mom was with me. I mean, I don't think I could have done it entirely by myself. And she kind of encouraged me to do it because she saw how it was like everywhere and it was stressing me out more to be finding it everywhere. So I finally just, I don't think there's any right way to do it, but I didn't really have like, you know, I was kind of new to the Arizona area 
And so I didn't really have a hairdresser that I connected with. If I had a hairdresser like I do now, oh, I'd go to her and have her help me every step of the way. So I, I think I would have probably done it like you did it if I could have. But this is what was so crazy. So once I lost my hair and I got into the wigs, I wore wigs. I wore wigs even to bed. I wore wigs all the time. I loved my wigs. I would have people stop me and say, would you be interested in modeling hair? I'd be like, well, let me tell you something. <laughs> I could, but it's a wig. <laughs> so I love my wigs. Yeah, I liked my wigs. I remember once, though, I wore a hat. I had a neuroanatomy final, and I wore a hat, and it was like the zodiac sign, so it said cancer on it. It was a black hat. Got it. And these people like looked at me like I was a derelict, like I was crazy. You know, this was like 21 years ago, so people kind of didn't accept it as much. They just thought I was this weird girl. They didn't think I had cancer because I didn't look sick otherwise. They just thought I was bald and. Yeah, you're deranged. <laughs> so I don't know. I had a really tough time. I think I was just so young trying to, to navigate through that, that I wore wigs more often than not. So got through my treatment. Um, they did four months of chemotherapy. Then I had to do a bone marrow transplant, which was extremely difficult. But all during this time, I really took good care of myself. My oncologist was so amazing. During my bone marrow transplant back then, it's kind of like you're the girl in the bubble. So I had to be in the hospital for about, I think it was four to six weeks. Wow. So my professors would bring me my tests. Uh, my friends from medical school would bring me notes so I could keep up with studying. So that really was my purpose is to stay in school. So it distracted me from really what was going on with the, with the cancer. That matters. That helps. And any solid distraction, work, kids, school. Yeah, all matters. Yeah. We had a bike. My oncologist was super cool. So he made sure that there was a bicycle in my room because I couldn't really leave my room. So I would ride my bike every morning at 4 a.m. and then I would study. So I had this whole routine. So I got through the bone marrow transplant. It certainly wasn't easy, but I got through it. Then I had uh, two months of radiation after that. And so about a year went by and, you know, they had said that I wouldn't be able to get pregnant and that I wasn't feeling very well. They thought the cancer had went to my brain because I was having nausea and all this stuff. Were you already done with treatment? Yeah. So okay. four months of chemo, the bone marrow transplant, and then two more months of, of the radiation. So it was almost a year worth of treatment. And so about a year, I guess it was that went by. And, you know, I just, again, was feeling weird. I was losing weight, had a headache. They were doing all these tests, MRIs, PET scans. I couldn't find anything. I had my gynecology appointment. I'm like, could I be pregnant? And they're like, no, you don't even have a menstrual cycle. You can't be pregnant. I'm like, can we just do a pregnancy test? Turns out I was five months pregnant, like four and a half. Wow. Crazy. So my husband's like, what? I thought this wasn't possible. Like, yeah, I don't think this is supposed to be possible. So believe it or not, like the doctors were wrong again. I wasn't supposed to be able to have a baby. I get pregnant with my daughter. So it was so amazing. It was such a miracle. I mean, such a blessing. I can't, her name's Sophia. You, you are so positive. Oh my gosh. Of course. So, so how old is your daughter? She is 18 now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so our daughters are pretty close to the same age. Wow. That's <laughs> fun, so right? It's crazy because after I delivered Sophia, it was so hard. Like, I don't know how childbirth was for you, Fitz, but I it was so difficult. I was so short of breath. I couldn't get through it. And then a few weeks after I delivered my daughter, I felt just like I did when I was diagnosed with cancer. And so I, I was ready to collapse. So they took me to the emergency room and my lungs were filled with fluid again. And they were actually very suspicious that I, that, that I had cancer again. And they ended up doing ultrasound on my heart and it showed my heart was only beating at 8%. So I had a diagnosis of cardiomyopathy and, you know, it was suspected because my cancer was wrapped around my heart that it was possibly from the radiation that had to go right to the heart or the super high dose chemo because the chemo they gave me was the type that really is um, what we call cardiotoxic. But truthfully, 21 years ago, 
and really with my diagnosis, it was really, hey, let's just do everything we can to try to get this cancer killed and help. You're going to die anyways. Yeah, let's help her live a few years, right? And so it was what it was. You just take it. And, you know, I've told patients that it's really about acceptance. I, I didn't resist any of this at any point in time. And I was really blessed. I really didn't feel sick um, during a lot of my chemotherapy. It's not that it was easy, but I, <clears throat> I, I didn't have time to be sick, I think. You know, it was like you, like how on earth? <clears throat> I know what kind of chemotherapy you had, you know, the TCHP. And I was sharing with you that I have patients that can't check the mailbox. And here Miss Fitz is traveling the country on all these planes on TCHP. And I'm like, how did she do that? It was just amazing. But I think when you have this strong purpose, like you and I did during our treatments, that you don't have time for symptoms. They're there, but you don't have time to really let them limit you. And so you just keep going. Well, I think this is the deal is I, when I was on the planes and in the airports and all of that stuff, I was truly suffering. Like those were moments where I just thought, oh Lord, what's going on with my life? But it was all an effort to get to doing what I love to do because when I was surrounded by 20,000 runners, my symptoms went away. You know, it was, I was all the effort for those moments where I could be full force Fitzcoller again for at least a little bit before I became a really sick person again. You know, if I didn't have that love, that passion, that, that, that thing, all I would have been was sick. So yeah, yeah. I would have dragged my ass up uh, Mount Everest every day to get to the start line, you know, and, and, and much like your situation, you just were, you were focused. Well, it's about cultivating those aha moments during treatment. And I always think, gosh, you know, having those, those unimaginable moments where our bodies are just filled with such joy and excitement and enthusiasm, that huge surge in our immune system. Ooh, that's so good for cancer. I'm like, yes. So it's the best thing during treatment is to cultivate those aha moments. So I really want patients to go after those. Um, so I was diagnosed with heart failure and hmm, biggest nightmare of my life because, you know, when I had cancer and was given that diagnosis, I was actually kind of, this sounds ridiculous, right? Like here you're given so many months to live, but I was in a way happy that we were going to be able to fix it because in the back of my mind, when those doctors said I had asthma, I'm like, I can't live with asthma. I, I like to run. I like to do mountains, but I was like, oh, good cancer. You can cure that. And then I can get back on with my life. And I don't have, so I don't have asthma, right? This is a great thing. Oh, then I get heart failure. I'm like, oh, now they're really sucking me with this really bad chronic disease. This is not a good thing. And your heart's only beating at 8%. And this was in 2003. So this is a long time ago. So, you know, my life with heart failure was kind of like give and take back and forth. There were good moments, bad moments, but it was, it really changed my life. I couldn't run anymore. I could, walking was pretty hard. So, you know, honestly, I was blessed to have my job and have my family and I just couldn't do too much. I kind of was held, you know, I was kind of years hijacked with heart failure for 18 years, basically. Um, and I did okay, I guess, up until about... 2008, and my husband passed away, a sudden cardiac death, Sophia's dad. So that was like a big, that was, you know, when you're given a diagnosis, at least for me, I was able to be in control of that. I was able to accept it and deal with it. And I was given this God-given strength and faith to get through it in a way that was right for me. But when someone else dies external to you, it's like pulls the carpet out from underneath you. And I didn't think I'd make it through. Honestly, I was at the, you know, I have never been depressed in my life. I don't think I was depressed even during that time. I'm really blessed with that resilience to kind of keep an upbeat attitude. But I remember just not even being able to put the music on. Like I was like in the car and I think I can't, I didn't listen to music for probably almost nine months. 
Wow. Just so hard. But I had my daughter. I had this beautiful little girl who I had to live for and who I had to be strong with. And, yeah. and so we just embraced life and we moved on. And I eventually, you know, started dating again and I met my husband now. And so, you know, with <clears throat> every little bit an obstacle in my life, it's like life gets, you know, your each additional blessing kind of builds on each other. And thank God I met him because I was getting so sick and my heart failure was getting worse that he really brought back life to both Sophia and I, and his name's Brandon. And today's his birthday. So happy birthday, Brandon. Yeah. Happy birthday, Brandon. <laughs> so that was tremendous. And so we, I did really good from 2008. Uh, well, no, from 2009, 2010, I guess it was, I started getting better once I met Brandon. And then in 2016, I had sudden cardiac death. I was doing a presentation and I, the room went blank and I collapsed. And so it was one of those crazy experiences fits that people kind of talk about. There was no white lights. I'm like, I didn't see a white light. That may be a very bad sign. There was no white lights. There was dark. It was very yeah. dark. <laughs> Where are you going, friend? I was somewhere, but it was mm -hmm. very peaceful. That's all I can say. It was peaceful. It was still, it was cool, like the temperature. And I, I wasn't scared. Like whatever was happening, it was just like a sense. It was completely serene. And then it was crazy because I had a defibrillator, something that would save my life if something like this would ever happen. But it wasn't working because I was more of like a flat line. It was a really flat, what they call ventricular fibrillation. So it was just like this, very fine. So the defibrillator couldn't shock it. So it was a while that I was down. And none of my colleagues, this room was filled with doctors. No one thought I was like having a cardiac arrest. They just thought... <laughs> Maybe she didn't sleep good the night before. Maybe she has low blood sugar. One of the doctors said, maybe she's having a seizure. I'm like, still, shouldn't you guys have checked my pulse? <laughs> Thank God my heart started beating again. And I remember like sitting up. I was like, oh, hi, guys. And because I had all these catecholamines, I was like, oh, I'm fine. And I like lay down. Super weird story, but I love it. <laughs> it's so good. <clears throat> so that was, that was the downhill. So from 2016, that's when they started thinking about heart transplant. Um, because I was, you know, we would do a procedure and I'd get worse. We do a procedure. I'd get maybe a little bit better, but from 2016, all the way up until 2019, it was just, we, I couldn't get a, a benefit from any of the treatment strategies. I was still working during this time because my work was what really added vitality and purpose. And it was something I could do. Cause I just sat, I was like actually the best worker. I, I always signed up to write papers and do presentations because I could just sit anyway. So I told my colleagues, go have fun. I can't do much. I can't do this. So work was fun for me. All right, pause for a sec. A, a incredible story. Hard, hard, super hard. Makes me feel like my ride was super easy. Thank no, you. Mm -mm. Yours um, but you have you have a little bit of love I want to recognize here. So Vicky says your patients are so lucky to have you and can explain what they're going through and can definitely understand the feelings. It's awesome you can show them you can go on and live a happy and upbeat life. Thanks, Victoria. Yes. Um, that's so true. I mean, and that's what this is all about. If we can just help to inspire other people through our journeys. And, you know, I know Fitz, you probably feel the same way that I really feel that what I went through was such a teacher of life. Like it's taught me to just embrace every second and live life so fully. And when I see the grass, like the grass is like this incredible green. And when I hear the birds sing, it's like ah, harmonious. And so my life is like phenomenal. And so I'm like, Oh, no. I would never trade in cancer. I wouldn't trade in heart failure. I wouldn't. And I think I must have got the best donor heart in the world. I mean, I wish I could meet the family to my donor heart because oh, 
and this is like a shout out to organ donation because, hey, guys, yeah. if I didn't get this heart in my body, I may not be alive right now. And this heart would have otherwise been in the ground, but instead it's in my body beating, giving me this amazing life. I mean, and I get to help people. It just it's like pinch me. Is this really happening? It's just, you awesome. know what you did? You just outfits Fitz Kohler. You have out bubbled me. You have out beamed me. Yeah. We're one in the same, actually. I, that's, I don't usually express myself like this. I'm usually a little bit more, you know, say exactly linear what I should say. So I'm kind of out of the box today. I love it. Thank you. for. So, so this is interesting. I mean, people, at, well, let me right here. Andy blames you for saving her life. So how is that, right? Andy's a doll. Andy is a dear friend of mine and she was by my side during the transplant process. And I'll tell you, she just, she was, she was the first person that believed when I said, Hey, I want to run a marathon after the transplant. Even my colleagues, they were kind of like, yeah. Oh, so you're going to do the half even my doctors are like they put in their medical notes she's gonna do the half and I was like I'm gonna do the full yeah. <laughs> but Andy was like yeah you can do it and she totally believed in me the whole time I love her thank you Andy and thanks oh. for being by my side again at the end of that race and she's an ER doc she's a brilliant girl so if you're gonna have some support the running doctor yes yes yeah the running doctor who can keep you alive in case something may happen at the end of that very important cool on the ground again (laughs) this is interesting where you and i actually diverge because um there's two things i i think we both are of the same mindset where we always see the best in everything we take the best opportunities we choose to be happy I didn't need cancer to make me feel you know like i was appreciative i loved every day I didn't need this thing. There was no wake up call for Fitz Kohler. I was already there. I was already looking at the green grass saying, yay, barefoot. Um, so I I say there have been many silver linings to the cancer nonsense and, and, I, and I can acknowledge them. But if someone gave me the chance to go back to 2019 and flip the switch and not have cancer in a heartbeat, I would go do that. But you say, no, this has all really enhanced your life. I, you know, and it is interesting because I was like this real jovial child and medical. So I probably was like you. I, I do, I do agree, but it added a different layer. Like for me, <clears throat> like this sounds maybe weird for some people, but I had like this incredible spiritual awakening with both of my experiences, and I am just on this like higher level of just existence. I feel like I feel like. If someone had a light bulb in their hand and they touched me, I bet that light bulb would go on. I have so much energy in my body. It's just awesome. And when I woke up from transplant, so, I mean, I'll tell you, that is the, the craziest thing. So All right, I, wait, go back to like getting on the donor list. Someone, your doctor is like, yeah, let's do a transplant. That's a pretty profound moment, right? Well, it's, it's interesting. So, you know, there's some people that get sick acutely and they need a transplant right away. And so for those people, yeah, it's like kind of, a very daunting thought for me. I lived with for 18 years with heart failure. So for me, the transplant was my, oh my gosh, finally I'm going to be fixed and I get to get my life back. I was so excited. Is that so when my you wanted for a long time? Like, gee, I wish I wish I could get on the list for a heart transplant. No, I don't. I wouldn't say that because you know transplant is changing in one set of problems for another. You know, so it's you're, you know, I make it sound simple. So I'm sure people who have had transplant are like, "Mm, you need to be a little truthful about how it really is post-transplant because it's not without a lot of resistance. There's a lot of medications. There's a lot of side effects to those medications that you're going to be on for the rest of your life. 
there are complications from the surgery. So it's not an easy transition. But for me, it was going to give me back my life. And I got to trade in one set of problems for a set of problems that would give me quality of life that was important to me. Yeah. You know, some people getting a transplant, they may not care about running or climbing a mountain and, and being super active and adventurous. But for me, that was my vitality for my whole life. And now I'm back on track to living to be 100. And maybe I'll even live to be older than 100 because i got a younger heart. So oh, like, yay. Yeah, okay. Advantage. But to answer your question, so in 2019, things got really bad. I couldn't examine my patients anymore. I would, I remember like leaning against the exam table because I felt like I would like collapse examining them. It was so hard just to, to do a breast exam. And my fingers would be like mottled, like white and blue. My legs would be so weak, they would kind of shake. When I would ask a patient a question and be talking for educational reasons, there would be times that I would feel like I would just pass out and I'd have to like grab the table. It was just, it was terrifying. It was terrifying being in my body. And then it was in 2019, I was driving with my daughter in the car and I passed out driving. Mm -hmm. So that was, that, that was it. So it just got to the point where I couldn't do anything anymore. So it did, did you crash in this car? No, thank goodness. It was one of those things where it was very temper. I knew it was coming on. So I was able to kind of pull over into a side area. And then the blessing was she had her driving permit, but of all times, this poor child had just got her permit. It was rush hour traffic. It was pouring rain. And then here I'm like, honey, because I wanted to tell her what was going on. And I was really like you, like, you know, open with my daughter, but didn't want to make her fearful of anything during any of this time with the journey. But I said, I'm not feeling really good right now. I think I may pass out, but I'm going to pull over and we're going to be just fine. But if I do, I want you just to go ahead and call, or I think I told her, go ahead and call 911 right now. And it's just everything happened so fast. But thank God I was just like a half a mile from Mayo Clinic. So she was so strong. We switched seats. Like after that episode happened, I was able to kind of crawl over to the other seat. She got into the driver's seat in the rain. So I figured how to do a U-turn in the car. And I'm just not really all with it. And took us back to the hospital. And she had like crossover. It was, she was just so strong. I was just so kid. Mm -hmm. really so that's how I got listed for transplant. I had to wait 14 months. And I got more and more sick. And eventually they admitted me to the hospital for IV medications that would help beat my heart beat stronger. And I wasn't a candidate for like an artificial heart and some of these balloon pumps because I was small. I had the radiation. So I was kind of stuck like in this really tough position. Um, so on February 4th, my cardiologist got the call that there was a heart. He comes in the room and he's like, Dawn, we have a match. And, you know, you'd think you'd be ecstatic. Like here's been 18 years. I've been kind of waiting for this like call, like, oh, we're going to be able to fix you. Were you working in the hospital or were you just a patient resting in the hospital? I, I was working. Okay. So you're working and they're like, hey, we're going to do a heart transplant. Well, no, I was actually a patient in the hospital. But while I was a patient, I was still working because I could do virtual work. But no, I was actually a patient. So I was hooked up to IVs that were medicines that went through my veins that helped the heart pump better. Okay. I was a patient, but while I was a patient, I was still working. Okay. okay. Yeah. I tried to work the whole time uh, because it, it gave me something to do. What else was I going to do in the hospital, right? So yeah, so I worked. I did virtual visits and stuff like that. So I enjoyed it. I, I didn't do quite as much as I did before, but yeah, I worked. So I knew I was going to have to clear my calendar for the next day because I was going to be getting my heart. But okay. it was crazy. So he comes in, he tells me this, and you'd think you'd be ecstatic, but it was the opposite. Like I was hopeful, but yet I was so confused why I was feeling this way because here someone's going to have to die 
to give you life. And so it's just, and another family is going to be grieving while my family is like so excited that their daughter is going to get to live. Right. So it was just really, really difficult emotions to, to process. So I think already in that point though, nobody had to die. Somebody already did die. Yeah. Right. Just, right. There's yeah. no choice yeah. being made anymore. It's that happened. And this is the best thing that could come out of it. And I want everyone watching here to make sure their driver's license says organ donor. If it doesn't, you need to go to the DMV immediately and make sure you and even your kids, if they're restricted um, drivers, get that on their car because there's a whole bunch of wonderful, positive people out there who could use these organs. And, you know, when we're gone, there's nothing valuable we can do with them. So this is uh, this an organ donation. Someone with that mark on their driver's license saved Don's life. So, yeah, nobody had to die at that point. They were generously saving your life. They were, they were doing their last heroic effort, right? Yeah. I mean, it really is the ultimate gift of life. I mean, you're exactly right. And thank you again for, I mean, how you announced at the race, the importance of organ donation. I mean, I'll tell you what, that is what this is all about, right? This is about something so much bigger than me. And if that message can get out there, it is so, so very important. And what's interesting is, you know, the majority of Americans believe in organ donation. Everyone listening is saying, oh yeah, I, I completely believe in organ donation, but only about 58% of people register. That's yeah. the problem. People, like you said, just don't sign up. You know, you can even sign up in your iPhone now or your health app. Okay. You can go to Donate Life America and sign up. You can go to your DMV. It's super easy to sign up or just tell your family like, hey, if something happens to me, make me an organ donor because man, I saw this girl and she had so much energy and I want to like keep having this aha moments with someone. And hey, this is how every transplant recipient lives. They are all so grateful. I have not met a transplant recipient with who doesn't have an amazing story, who isn't just so gracious and loving for what their donor gave to them. And so it really is an opportunity to, you know, transform the finality, you know, the finality of death to get rid of death. And then to, to transform it into purpose and reignite life. That is really what this is all about. So, so I agree. So that call was really emotional, but I'll tell you what, the next day when I went down to the operating room, you'd think you'd be terrified, right? Like all my other surgeries, I've had so many surgeries. I would always pray so hard to God, like, please let me wake up. Please. Let me wake. I, I was always so scared. This is the first time in my life. I saw my surgeon in the room and I had complete peace. Like I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. Like I am going to wake up in a few days and my heart is going to be beating and I am getting my life back. I had no fear. It was kind of like when I had that ventricular fibrillation, when that cardiac arrest, and I was in that place, that state of existence where I was just kind of existing without fear. It's kind of like that, like complete peace in knowing that what was about to happen was going to be awesome. So a few days later, the surgery is a little complicated, like long surgery. The next day I actually bled. So I had to go back to the operating room. They had to reopen me. And then, so things were really kind of like touch and go, but guess what? I <laughs> Survived, thank goodness. His heart was so strong. And my awesome, amazing, incredible doctors at Mayo Clinic, my surgeon, Dr. Sariapaglu, I'll tell you what, the, he is just so amazing, this gentleman that I, I will never forget the first time I ever met him when they were doing the transplant eval is he said, are you worried about the incision? I was like, did he ask me that? Because yes, I am terrified about the incision, but I didn't want to be so vain to say, oh, I need a heart. And can you be kind with when you open it? And he did the most beautiful incision. It's not big. Like some, or mine's like tiny. 
tiny. It's tiny. Really? Yeah, like, it's not, I mean, it, it's still big enough, but but it's not up here so I can wear a top and you don't necessarily see this really huge. And he didn't do staples. He did he did glue and it was this beautiful incision. Poor guy had to open it back up again. But, but it looks actually pretty good. So I was so happy that he cared about that. But I always joke, I say, I think you put magical sutures in my body. And I think that's why I'm like, so it's like these little energy sutures. I don't know. They're pretty awesome, whatever he did. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I woke up when I finally was able to wake up from, um, you know, that the little bit of sedation they have while you're intubated. That's not very fun, by the way. No. Intubation, extubation. Oh, that was a whole, that's a whole story in and of itself. That whole extubation process is just the worst. I mean, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat that. But once that tube is out and you're like kind of breathing on your own again, and it was so cool because my heart was like, be I hadn't felt my heart beat for 18 years. I was like, wow. there's like, it's like this big beat. My hair, I remember it like kind of whistling on the bed because it was like kind of wow. scratching the bed. Like I could hear it. was just like, oh, my body was warm. I was like, oh. My face was pink. My hand, my fingers were like pink for the first time in years. Yeah. And, be, and, and for everyone who doesn't understand, she, her circulation stunk. There was not a lot of oxygen getting to her muscles and her organs. And that's why she was turning blue and feeling bad all the time is lack of oxygen to everything, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, when your heart doesn't pump, the blood's not going to where it needs to go. I mean, it does, but it's not going to where it needs to go as effectively as it should. And man, once you get that pump in there and it's pumping that blood where it should go, it's like, whoa. This is what life, I, I forgot how good life really was. I could think again. I could talk again. Boy, I talked everyone's ear off. If they came in to see me, they're like, oh, make sure you got some time because she's not going to shut up. And I'm talking your ear off and everyone else's ear I off. love right it. Now. We're welcoming of the ear talking. Hey, um, just a little pause because your mom has chimed in and I had the great luxury of meeting your mom a couple of weeks ago. She says, my lovely girls, you're both amazing and so inspiring. I enjoyed the visit. Um, so many emotions and memories. She oh. loves you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Oh, and she was the best. She was my caregiver. My poor husband. I was like, sorry, my mom's going to be my caregiver. It was COVID. So you can only have one person in the hospital with you. And she would brush my hair and she'd make sure I'd have like, you know, my, I was like, make sure like, I don't, you know, I look kind of decent. So it was great. When I took my first steps, there was a picture with a hair and a ponytail and had these like perfect curls. Oh, oh, okay. Wow. I'm like, thanks, mom. <laughs> like, that looks nice, that picture. But she made sure, like, I you know, looked like as clean as I could be and I smelled good and stuff like that. And the hospital nurses, of course, are so wonderful with that, too. But, mom, you're the best. I love you. She's that's so sweet. That's so sweet. And, you know, it's interesting. When I was diagnosed, I really felt bad for my mom. You know, I'm a full grown up and whatever, but I just, and she happened to come here the day I was getting my biopsy or the day before. And I thought, oh God, I got to tell her. And I was like, that's probably nothing. But I just kept thinking, oh no, she's not going to like this very much. I feel bad for me, but I really felt bad for her. So to watch your child suffer not only cancer, but then heart failure and the fear that she must have endured for so long, this is really has to be such a, you know, a breath of fresh air for both of you. Both of you. It was really a blessing. And you're right. I think that sometimes our diagnosis is so much harder on our families. You know, your children, your husband, your mom, you're absolutely right. We're given that inner strength to kind of pull through, but the poor family just is just terrified what could happen to us. Yeah. And given the choice out of all of us, I felt like, thank goodness it's me. I'm thank goodness it's me. If it's, it's gotta be one of us, they picked uh, the world, pick the right one, you know? 
you're right. You know, it's so interesting because I don't know, like, I always kind of try to reverse it. Like, gosh, would I have been as strong as my family was for me? And I mean, they were so nurturing and loving and just amazing. I was just so blessed through, through, yeah. all, through it all. And most importantly, world, just keep your hands off my kids. That's it. <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> Burn this place down if you touch my kids. I agree. I mean, that's when people are like, oh, your story. So I'm like, you know, I hear so many stories in life and, you know, everyone has a story and there's so many powerful stories that we can learn from, but you're right. When it comes to children and, and our loved ones, it's just, it's really hard to yeah. see anything happen as we love. So um, you probably don't know him, but this is Dr. Brian Solberg. He's an anesthesiologist and he oh. has, um, I'm going to say it wrong, but he's, he's had spinal cord injury and he i think he was told he would never walk type thing and instead he's gone on to to do 125 marathons on foot and he wears braces on his legs and he runs with a guide and a cane he calls it shuffling but i think if brian and i were to go out and run a marathon together today he'd kick my butt he's so awesome he's also so positive and um he supports so many other people so he's i know he's in california jumping up and down cheering for your story beth Oh, I hope to meet him. Oh, hi, Brian. I hope to meet you one day. He's 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 so lovely. So lovely. Okay, so listen, you get the heart transplant. You're feeling great. You decide to run a marathon, but I just can't wait any longer. I'm going to show the little video of you coming through the finish line. Okay, yeah. Anymore. All right, so everybody, this is two weeks ago, and it, and it specifically, <laughs> this marathon is exactly 365 days after your heart transplant, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I still can't believe it happened. Like, this is amazing. Hey, thanks. Here it is. Here's her finish. I think it is her. All right, so this is the one we have been waiting for for a while. So first of all, I'm going to welcome Laura Glorioso. But one of our great stories of triumph right now, this is Apologists. That was so special. I mean, your announcement was just so meaningful to me and my family and to, you know, everyone out there. You couldn't hear that part, but Fitz actually went on to talk about the importance of organ donation. And it's just so special and it means so much to to the world. Thank you for spreading that message. I'm so grateful. And I'm so blessed to have been able to do that. Um, it, it's amazing. When I say it's amazing, this isn't like me tuning my horn, but what this is just the transformation. And, you know, I remember those first steps after my transplant is, oh my gosh, I, I remember going into the transplant, like I'm going to run a marathon at one year. And I was like, Ooh, I took that first step. And I was like, you did that you took two steps and you're like marathon. Oh no. I took that first step. I was like, I don't think this is going to happen. Okay. I, I walk. Like, I mean, I was on a walker and like my first foot, I'm like, oh, no one told me it was going to be this hard. And I didn't actually ask. That was maybe my fault. I didn't really prepare myself. I thought that transplantation would be, we're going to put in a heart. You're going to start running. And it was really hard. The pain was, and I'm like, you fit. I don't use narcotics. So I use Tylenol with a heart transplant. Let mm -hmm. me tell you, 
Your girl, your girl. I moan. I was like, oh, <laughs> so bad. That's so bad. But the 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 narcotics make me so sick, just like you. So gosh, I wish I wish we could create a medicine that wouldn't make people sick but could get rid of pain. That would be really nice. But well, so here here's just just a little pause on that topic. I a I don't like being out of control. Period. In story, I don't want to drink too much. I don't want narcotics. I don't want anything that uh, prohibits me from saying the words I want to say, moving the way I want to move, et cetera, et cetera. However, I think that the world is far too afraid of pain. Yes. Uh, I, I, I don't like pain. I don't enjoy it, but I would much rather have some pain and my mind than to have pain that just knocks me out. And, and a great benefit to me is it makes me sick. It give me half a Percocet. I'm going to puke my guts up. So mm-hmm. it, it's basically a no-go, but why is everybody like, oh, I got some pain. I need a drug. No, you got some pain. You need to sit the hell down, grab some ice and, and, and don't be a, bu- a buffoon and do active things while you're in pain. You need to rest. Am I wrong? Doctor? I say the same exact thing. I'm like, it's, well, you know, I have, I'm very compassionate with patients because right. you have to be as compassionate. for my family and for me, I'm like, my poor daughter, like, there's a funny story to the whole pain thing. Cause you know, maybe I took it a little too far. I'm like, pain's part of the human experience. It, 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 it's a reminder we're fully alive, but I'm like you, I, and I laughed in your book. Cause you talk about how you like to be in control. I'm like, oh, those are like exactly what I, that's exactly what I said. I want to be aware. I want to be controlled. I don't want to be, to have that removed. Um, so I am totally on board with you. And that was one thing, you know, after my transplant that I've talked to some folks, because I, I will say that in medicine, it is the number one mission for hospital patients to make sure that their pain is controlled. Okay. Otherwise, you know, doctors and hospitals are worried that their patient satisfaction scores are going to be low. But there are some patients that would rather have a little pain and not have that experience of narcotics. And the medical establishment needs to understand that and hear that because they're more worried sometimes about their patient satisfaction scores going low if you're in pain. But the truth is, is for people like you and I, and there's many, many other people out there like us, the experience of narcotics is far worse than the experience of pain. And the experience of pain for me after transplant was like, oh, I'm alive. Now it was, it was much more painful than I bargained for, but I got through it, right? Uh-huh. So the pain was, was pretty rough and the walking was really challenging, but I kept pushing myself and in the hospital, you know, I was there for about two weeks after the transplant is by the end, I would walk, you know, over a mile each day in the hospital. I just keep walking the hospital floors. I would wake up at 1.30 in the morning because I was so excited to be alive. I just couldn't even go back to bed. I was like, I'll just get dressed. I brought clothes, colorful, colorful clothes, walk the hospital. They'd be like, you need to sleep. I'm like, oh, I love this song. That's right. So, yeah. So it was pretty amazing. But uh, so the transplant experience, you know, was kind of interesting. I did hit like this weird point at like day four and it was totally unlike me. I, I was angry. I, like, I got in this funky little stinky attitude. I've never done this in my life, but I was like, why did I have to go? And I have someone else's heart. Like, These weird emotions. I don't know what was going on. And I actually, you know, I didn't share this, but because I had waited so long for my transplant, my donor was an increased risk donor. So she had a history of IV drug use and actually was hepatitis C positive. So that's what I was actually angry about is, man, why did I have to get this heart that has these issues? It's just so weird. Like, why would I think that I was otherwise doing so well? But it was just something that I was processing. Right. Maybe it was steroids talking a little bit too. Like, you know, you get a little angry sometimes with steroids. But this is what was so amazing. And so that night I fell asleep and I had a dream. And this gets kind of maybe weird for people, but I had this profound dream, like the sensory experience. And 
in the dream, I woke up and there was this dwelling place and I was in this room alone. And I remember looking out the window and it was like total isolation. My car wasn't out there. It was nothing that looked familiar. I looked at this chair that was in this dwelling and my purse wasn't there. I'm like, what's going on? And so I remember in this dream, like kind of crawling out the door and there was grass, this long grass, and it stuck to my leg. And it, you know how grass, it kind of like sticks to your skin? Is that Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> long blades of grass. So it would stick to my skin. I was kind of crawling through the grass and I flipped over and there were these clouds and like the air and these clouds were big and billowy and blowing. And like my hair was blowing in the wind and the grass was in, I kind of just smell the air and off to the distance, there was like this community of people that just had this blissful existence and laughter and families playing and just pure innocence and joy, just like the purity of life. It was gorgeous, this dream. And this voice came over me and it said, grace. It's like really powerful. So I woke up and I'm like, hmm. and I had this complete sense of acceptance and love and just compassion and warmth. And I was like, oh, I'm just so grateful. And those negative emotions totally transformed to this point of just complete acceptance to think, oh my gosh, you know, maybe my donor, I don't know what her situation was. Who knows what the situation was? Whether she may have had a great life or maybe it wasn't a perfect life, regardless, I'm going to be sure that I give her a perfect life of just true, authentic happiness and purpose and joy and meaning. And so from that point forward, that's exactly what I've done. So this is what was so interesting is I would sleep at night and I still do with some instrumental music, no words, just instrument. And I happened to look down to see what time it was. And the song playing at that very moment was Grace. That was the title of the song. Very perfect. So, and, and then, so you named your heart Grace, is that correct? I named my heart Grace. And so, you know, it was crazy. And Andy Sharp was at the finish line with me is steps before the finish line at the Donna Marathon. There was a construction sign that had these big letters that said Grace. So I've had these different, you know, just reminders of grace. So on my sleeve of my, on my shirt, I had grit and I had a heart and it said grace. So I named my heart grace. So that's what I've named my heart. And so anyways, I think in life, we sometimes have these like small reminders or symbolisms or meanings. But for me, that was really special. And so from that moment forward, Grace and I have united. We're one. I talk to her. It's like people are probably like, what? And then I'm like, yeah, you can think it's a little crazy, but you get it, someone else's heart in your body and you see what you do. It's just like, we're these two people that have just united as one. And it's just this beautiful exchange. And so every once in a while when I'm like mile 18 and things aren't feeling so good, I'm like, hey, Grace, how are you? <laughs> you know? And she's usually like, keep going, girl, keep going. Oh, wow. So that's like, interesting. I mean, I... I had uh, blood transfusions and I remember being like, who is these, who are these people? You know, who are these people? First I thought maybe a little leprechaun like person. And then I thought maybe a rapper who barks. Cause I always thought that was fun. You know, there was all these different things. And eventually I couldn't put a name or a face to the blood that was infused into me. I just thought it must be really, these must be really nice people. They, they donated blood. So how wonderful were they, were they, but I think if it were whole organ, Grace, I feel probably is like you. I bet she was just a very generous, caring person and positive. And she's so excited to get to live on and run a marathon with you. And then so, of course, the word Grace shows up towards the end of your marathon. But there was another bit of voodoo magic going on because your bib number spontaneously was... 365, 365 days with my heart. And that's what the number was. And I even asked Amanda, I said, hey, Amanda, at the end of the race, you guys plan this like 
it's like, oh my gosh, it's like really simple. So it's like, it gives me chills. It's like really pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's super cool. And, you know, just everything about you breeds positivity and success and life, you know, and, and you live and show people the way because I know there's some people, I mean, my people are pretty, pretty awesome people. Anyone who's watching because they're, they're, they watch the fitness show, they're, they're probably pretty gritty and they're adventurous and, and they're living fully, but they, they probably could use a kick in the pan, can and, and that's you out there living your best life, you know, and, and I think that's the best way to kick people in the can is just go show them, show them it can be done. You can do hard things even after hard times. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we want to just embrace every moment, live fully, like it, in, in live a life that's filled with meaning and purpose and one that, you know, tries to make the world a better place. Have some love. The world is filled, you know, a lot of social media drives so much, you know, unhappiness. I hate the word hate. I know you talk about that in your book too. Yeah. I don't like that word. So we'll just say unhappiness, but I just want to cultivate joy, you know, yeah. and just really that blissful experience of just being fully alive. That's really what this is all about. And I don't know, I don't think you'd have cancer, like you said, or right. failure. To, you know, we should be able to do this without that. But sometimes we have to go on these journeys of, of self-growth to really get us there. And, you know, for those people living with chronic disease, you know, sometimes it's so hard in the trenches to, to see this positive message. But in the end, the hope is that you too can rediscover your vitality. And it's so interesting. Um, commenting right now is Glenn Buckley. Glenn is a bit of a soccer god, and but he just recently lost his son, and he is going through the worst of hard times. So, Glenn, I I am doing well. Always thinking about you, but um, I hope you take a little bit of inspiration from this woman right here. There is life to be lived and adventure to be had, and uh, you can do hard things too, Mister. So, mwah, sending you lots of love. And you know, that's so true what your message was there. And because I've been very close to death a few times, you know, I've had people ask me, were you ever scared of dying? And it's not that I wasn't scared of dying. I just knew that if I did die, I lived my best life. I felt that I really showed my family like what was important to me. And I let them know how much that they their love meant to me. And so we, God forbid I would have died. I would have wanted my family to just keep on living and live even better, better, just knowing that I would want them to live those fully, fully, you know, high experiences in life. Yeah. You know, in, in our world and now, especially because of my book, I got so many people recently diagnosed with cancers of all sorts, reach out and say, Oh, I need the book and so forth. And then, and then we end up being best friends. And I now care deeply about somebody facing this very scary um, disease as you do. And, you know, on occasion when that person doesn't make it, I, it, it is very helpful to me personally to know when that person has lived a very full life, you know, whether, whether someone gets hit by a bus or it's heart disease or cancer or whatever, it really makes me feel better knowing like one of my very best girlfriends passed away two Decembers ago, but 50 years old, 50, just so young, but Every day she maximized. Every day was filled with love and friendship and she traveled and she adventured and she owned a great business and she gave back. She's, you know, it just, it makes me so happy to know that she didn't miss out on anything. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, when we mourn, we mourn our loss, but a lot of times the person who's passing away has, they're okay with it. They've accepted it, you know, and that's how I think I would have felt, but I know that 
you know, those around us, God, if, and we talked about like, if we've lost a loved one, how hard it is for us to keep going, but yeah, unbearable. I can't imagine. I just, I can't, I, I do believe that God gives us what we can handle. I mean, I, I don't know that I can handle that. You know, there's certain things that this was a breeze compared to what other people in life have gone through. That's that's right. So you and I, if, if someone in our family had to be chosen, bravo, thank you for picking me, magic man yeah. in the sky, lady in the sky, universe, whatever it is, whoever yeah, makes I the choices, I, I, I was the right choice. Okay. So I... Um, I, I could talk to you forever. And I think you should come back on the show to talk about other things. But I normally wrap things up with a um, a bit of fun questions. So are you ready for some fun, Miss Dawn? Is that a yes? Oh, you know what? You cut up for just a minute. I think you asked if I'm ready for some fun questions. Heck yeah. If that's what you asked me. I don't know. I cut out your mind. I like, no. Okay. So um, who was your first Hollywood crush? Oh. Oh boy, this is where you're gonna be like, oh, she actually is a really boring girl. So this sounds totally crazy, but I was one that was never really like into that kind of stuff much. I was kind of, I don't know if I was geeky. My daughter is probably listening and she's probably like, oh no, mom, you were probably definitely geeky. <laughs> so, okay, I know what I would say. This is really weird. So it was probably Arnold Schwarzenegger because I loved his muscles. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually who it was. Because when I would be on like field trips and girls would be reading 17, I would get muscle and fitness and I'd be like, oh, I love all those muscles and fitness. So that sounds really corny, but that would be the truth. So I'm going to be totally transparent. Yeah, that's I still really like him though. Yeah. I think a lot of people had the hots for Arnold, especially back in the day, right? Yeah. Pump you up. Okay. Um, Maybe I'll add to that. Arnold. I Brad Pitt was really cute too. Yeah, I thought Brad, was, Brad Pitt. I thought he was very handsome. Mm -hmm. Yes, he is. And he gets better all the time, which is rude and fabulous. I appreciate Mr. Pitt. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you were to run a marathon and you could only listen to one song the whole time and had to go and repeat doom, doom, over and over and over, what song would that be? This is, this is weird. My husband's like, that's a boring dancing in the moonlight. I love that song. And I keep on playing really boring by Jubel or Jubel. I say it wrong, but oh, I love that song. Dancing in the moonlight. I'm a <laughs> so I won't even do it. But yeah, I love that song. It's the best. It's okay. It's, it's, it's uh, low key, but I like it. I like it. it. Low key. Yeah. Um, I need something sometimes to calm me down a little. So it's, it's a little calming. So yeah, I love that song. Chloe Roll, dancing in the moonlight. Are you a salty or a sweet person? Hmm. I'm, well, I'm a whole food plant-based person, pl you know, plant only diet. So I'm super strict with my diet. So I'll say sweets, but my favorite sweet food would be dates. So it's like, kind of like, I'm not really like, so I'm really weird with diet, but I love what I eat and it gives me so much energy. And I really try to get my patients to eat like I do to the best of their ability. So sweet because it makes me sweeter. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm a vegetarian. Are um, you? Oh, I, I am. And, and I, although I believe it's very, very healthy, it's mostly because I have friends who are chickens. I just love the animals so much. So I just can't do it anymore. I'm such a bleeding heart. But anyway, um, I used to be sweet and then chemo and now I'm salty because chemo, I, you know how it kills your taste buds. And then all of a sudden they came back, it's different taste buds. And so, yeah, I, I used to have a sweet tooth. That's okay. It's good. I, I eat less muffins. Come on. It's, <laughs> Okay. Dawn, what makes you cranky? Mm. Mm. 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't really. Uh, hmm. No, I don't really get cranky. I don't really get in bad moods. Uh, hmm. What can get me cranky? Are there, are there any bad habits that people have that are, that bother you? No, not really. Um, uh, I don't know. That's a bad one. I, I'm trying to think. What could kind of derail? What would derail me a little bit, maybe? Ah. I don't know. I may have to come back to that one. I may have to think about that one. Right. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, not too many things really make me cranky. I kind of just like am in this like little bubble of like happy you joy. Are. <laughs> it may be like toxic positivity. I've like read about that before. I'm like, oh, I need to be careful. But yeah. I do acknowledge the fact when other people may not have good moments. So, but I don't really have any of those. And I certainly don't have any since my heart transplant because I am just so happy to be alive. There is no reason to get cranky about anything. The last time I was cranky was was when I shared that dream. That was, And so I am never inviting crankiness back into my life. That's for sure. Okay. All right. Well, that's a good response. It's a really good attitude. Um, if you were to sing karaoke, what song would it be? Oh, I, Fitz, I'm the world's worst singer. And anyone who knows me would be like, you are the worst. Done to your head. You have to sing karaoke. Oh gosh! I, again, I must be the most boring person in the world. Um, hmm. Boy, see, this is like terrible. Like, what can I do? Not what it's like, I don't, I don't know. Why is that? Dancing in the moonlight, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. I was going to say that, but I was trying to think of something different, like a fun song or something. Um, hmm. So I will say that my favorite song growing up to sing, like in the mirror where I like put the lights down, would be Sheena Easton Strut, like Strut Down Cold. Yeah, that's a good one. Hey, listen, this is this is for uh, those of us with unlovely singing voices. Oh, I, I have one. Actually, no, I, oh, Mickey, that's my favorite. Oh, Mickey, you're so fun. Yeah, that is it for sure. Yeah, that's my favorite one. Oh, Mickey. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, well, you could do that. And that's the secret. If you don't have great voices, you got to perform. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get from, yeah. Oh, Mickey. And, you know, they wore cheerleading skirts. So that's like totally like up my alley. I just okay. like, love <laughs> cheerleading skirts. Yeah. yeah perfect so answer. And I will look forward to dragging you out some night and we'll go do that. Okay. Um, what is the weirdest thing you've ever kissed? Oh, hmm. I, I kiss a lot of things. I, I like love everything, you know. Uh, hmm. Uh, I kiss my dog all the time. It's like crazy how much I kiss my dog. Um, the weirdest thing I've ever kissed. Probably be an animal. I think I kissed a frog once. Like it was so cute. And it was like, you know, a cute picture. Most of like that kind of a thing. So maybe a frog. But it didn't turn into a prince. <laughs> so it didn't work. Pay for effort. Pay for effort. <laughs> I, uh, I kissed a rhino last weekend. Oh, that see, that was unfair. You had a cool experience. That was a, how did you get to kiss a rhino? So it's the oldest rhino in captivity in the entire world. He's over 40 and he's so freaking slow. He's just imagine if you were a 120 year old human, he can't hurt you because he can't do anything. So he, he, he lifted himself up. I called him. I said, Henry, come over. And he came over and um, I got to pet him and cuddle with him. And then I just couldn't help it. So I kissed him on top of his head. 
this week. Oh, that is really neat. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take some of these questions that I'm not answering very good. I'm going to make sure I have some more ex exciting moments in my life. That's what's so exciting about this chapter of my life. And I'm at my one year mark. So now I get to like really live freely and do fun things. For 18 years, I like put my whole life on pause because I couldn't do anything. You know, if we traveled, I couldn't walk far. We had to figure out how. So now I get to like do stuff. So I get to, I'm so excited. So I have to start thinking, what can you kiss on this trip that would be really cool? So the next time Fitz asks you this question, you have a really good answer, like something as good as a rhino. Okay, so uh, we didn't discuss this, but right after the Donna, you reached out and said that you're running Big Sur. Yeah. Magical. So excited. It is. It's amazing, right? I had super quick recovery. My doctors in Mayo Clinic are so supportive where, you know, you say, you know, I said, hey, what are your thoughts? Are you okay if I run this? You're like, absolutely. I'm like, okay, we're on. So I'm running Big Sur for the American Cancer Society because I love the opportunity to do these races and give back to something that's meaningful. Nice. And so March is actually my 21 year anniversary from my bone marrow transplant. And so I was like, oh, this is great. Now I know Big Sur is in April, but you know, it's just right around that time. And so it's just wonderful to be able to do this for the American Cancer Society. And um, give back to an organization that does such amazing research to help advance the science, to help find cures for these amazing cancers like HER2 positive breast cancer, even though the treatments are just so toxic and difficult to tolerate. Boy, we're doing really good with curing breast cancer. To do research so that the cancer therapies aren't so toxic, cause heart damage, because gosh, you know, 21 years ago, we didn't know this, but nowadays the research with cardio-oncology has just moved so far. So it's very exciting. So very excited about Big Sur on my bucket list. I get to check that off very early. Cannot wait. So I'm starting to do my hill training. Okay. Got to get on top of that. So, yep, got some inclines to run this weekend. Good. Get to a stadium too, up and down the stadium. Big, Big Sur has, I mean, we have Hurricane Point, we got Bixby Bridge, all sorts of inclines. However, it's beautiful and posh and lovely. And it's not only the most gorgeous atmosphere and environment, but the people are so special. It's, it's, I've been announcing Big Sur, I think since 2015, and I can't wait to get back. It's been two years because of the COVID nonsense or 2019 was the last time I was there, 2019. And I, so here's the thing, I'm going to be waiting for you at the finish sign. That's what I was just going to say. The most I can't wait to give you a hug and see you. And you're gonna I'm have so excited to that I heard you were going to be announcing. So I'm very, very excited. Wow. We're going to make a royal stink of you, a big sir. So expect yeah. that. All right. Um, and my last question for you was going to be what's next? So besides big sir, what's next for Dawn, that cancer survivor and the heart transplant recipient <clears throat> and the marathoner? So a lot of big things I'm hoping, you know, I have a few, I'm planning on doing Chicago and, you know, I'm running these races and kind of just doing it and being smart and healthy. And coach Jeff Galloway has been amazing at helping me. And so he sent me this great message this week that said, so do you want to start working on times? And that's actually what I really am excited about is because I, I am very competitive. So when I looked at my time after the Donna, I was having a few little um, issues with my medications because you're on so many medications post-transplant that I'm trying to balance that out. So my cardiology team has been awesome to adjust one of my medications so I have less side effects. And so I'm hoping that I can start working on my times. And I don't know, I'd probably never be able to qualify for Boston, but heck, a girl can always try. Wouldn't that be cool? Not just to run marathons, but maybe do them and be good at them. Right. Doing some of these running tests to see what my cadence is and my vertical, you know, elevation is and everything is okay. a pretty efficient runner. So I'm going to kind of go and work on that and 
have lots of aha moments with my family because, you know, for 18 years, my daughter and, you know, for the last time that my husband Brandon's been with us, our life has kind of been on hold. So to really go and just do fun things as a family where mom isn't, you know, having to put this pause button on. And I do, you know, people say, well, does the donor heart give you, change your personality? I'm like, my personality didn't change, but I'm more adventurous. I'm, I'm much more fun. So all those questions that I was just such so boring answering, ask me in a year. I bet I'll have really fabulous answers because I feel much more adventurous. I just want to do fun things in life. So and we'll see what happens. With my career, I have a lot of very exciting opportunities. And I love seeing my patients one-on-one. -on -one, and I hope to be able to make a bigger impact to a larger group of people. I really want to raise awareness for organ donation. So people don't just say, hey, I, I believe in organ donation. But they want to sign up and be active participants. Um, and just really promote the need. That's what this is all about. This is about something far bigger than me. And if I can help others live a more vital life because of it, meaningful life, one filled with purpose, then gosh, I'm so happy I went through everything I went through. And I think that's where you and I are exactly alike because we just want to give back to the world. So the world is a better place. Well, I think you've already started doing that. I mean, you've, you've, this is your whole life. So um, I, it's, it's inspiring to see the person who's walked the walk and you have, you've walked the walk, you've run the run, you've, you've crawled the crawl, you've done it all. And um, I can't wait to see you in Big Sur. Oh, thanks, Fitz. I can't wait to see you too. Get ready for a big, huge hug from me. I'm always ready for a big, huge hug. Yay. Yeah, we're going to have lots of fun. We're going to have lots of fun. All right, beautiful girl. So how are you on social media? How could somebody follow you if they would like? I am on social media. Okay. I try to be as active as possible, but I put my career first and my family first. So this week, for example, has been a busy work week and I just had great patients all week. So I haven't really been on social media this week, but when I have time, I'm on Instagram. It's at Dr. Dawn Me Salem and I'm on Facebook too. And I may actually be a little bit more active on Facebook, but I know a lot of the younger people don't go on Facebook and that's, they can just search Dawn Me Salem and I'm on Dawn Me Salem as well on Facebook. Um, LinkedIn, you know, I save that more for professional things. So that's not as fun on LinkedIn. That's just more professional. Uh, but yeah, join me on, on Instagram um, or Facebook. Okay. All right. Everybody follow Dawn, Dr. Dawn Salem. And if you haven't already done so, weirdos, follow me at Fitness all over the place so I can boss you around and give you pokes and shake, rattle, and roll you to get you to do better and be better. And um, I love you, Dawn. I'm so happy to have you as a new friend and everybody out there. I love you as well. Uh, it's your turn to get to work. All right. Now, Dawn, when we leave, we dance. So it's time to dance. Oh, all right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Mickey, you're so fun. You're so fun. <laughs> I should ask